She's like, but I'm not going to boast in the things that are really good. I'm not going to celebrate how my life is smooth and easy and I am holier than you. No, I'm going to boast in all of my weakness, in all of my brokenness, in my hardships, in my pain. I love Paul's writing here because this is completely opposite of our culture today. We think that hardships and suffering and sorrows are a thing to be hidden. If we don't talk about them, nobody can think less of us because of it. If we're suffering with something, either something that's just because this world is broken or something because somebody's come against us, we just have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and suck it up, buttercup, and make it right. We have a culture that says, don't acknowledge where you are broken. Focus on your strengths. Focus on the things you're good at. And the weaknesses, those will go away. Paul, he says something entirely different. If I'm going to boast, it's going to be in my weakness. See, we can suffer from things because this world is broken. We can suffer from things because other people have hurt us. But Paul offers to us something that Jesus first offered. The opportunity not to just suffer from things or from other people, but the opportunity in turn to start suffering for something and for someone. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, And that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning. It is so good once again to be here with you this morning. In case you don't know, my name is Adam, and I love you. I love you a lot. It brings me great joy to be here today, and I'm glad you're here with us. As we conclude our series today, we have been over the last several weeks talking about this really big question, what's the point So a a quick quiz to see how quickly you forget. He is risen. You're like, wait, wait, wait. It's not Easter anymore, Adam. Why are we doing that? Well, a fun fact for you, it is still Easter and he is still risen and it is still good news for you, for me. See, the season for the church of Easter starts on Easter Sunday, and it actually lasts seven weeks of seven weeks of focusing on only one thing. He is risen. This is good news, or at least it should be. But we've been asking this question the last few weeks, what's the point? Because the truth is, this resurrection is great, but sometimes life seems... Confusing and hard and difficult, and the resurrection seems like anything other than our reality. And so today we get to a really tough question. In fact, perhaps the number one most frequently asked question of me and 
most pastors. How can a good God allow such evil in the world? Or some version of that question. How can God be good if I am hurting so much? What do I do with this suffering and this sorrow and this pain? If he is risen, how come it still hurts and feels like he's not? Have you ever been there? See, we live in a world that is thoroughly confusing. First, it's really confusing because the whole world around us, especially here in America, tells us that if God is good, you must be happy. In fact, our very nation was founded that every person has the God-given right to the pursuit of happiness. As if our happiness is a great good, a thing we should aspire to. And the problem with this, the reason it becomes so confusing, is what happens when despite all of our best efforts and all of our good works, doing all the right things, what happens when happiness fails us or is fleeting? And it feels like it's just one more step away. And every time we get one step closer, we take two steps back. And happiness seems like the dream you chase that never comes. And we also live in this world that while we say the pursuit of happiness is the greatest good, we say anything hard or painful or difficult must be the opposite of that. Today, as we ask this question, what's the point? I believe that our suffering and hardships and toil and pain are actually better than the pursuit of happiness. We'll get there. You see, the reality about suffering is there are times in this world when we suffer from something. Like, maybe you have chronic headaches or chronic anxiety, or you find yourself waking up every morning going, I just don't know why I'm waking up today. Like, I'd really just rather sleep for the next 20 years and not deal with this mess. We suffer at times in this world from the reality that this world is broken. My wife and I, we've been working on a house lately, a house we recently purchased that requires a lot of work, a lot. In fact, if you see me after working, I am filthy like I've never been before from all the dirt and the dust, and it's disgusting. And it seems every single time we work in the house, the next day we wake up and we're like, my whole body hurts. Whew. And we suffer from the reality that our muscles are not strong enough to swing sledgehammers all day long. And we suffer, not only that, we suffer the sneezing and the pain of all the dust and the dirt and the mouse poop and things we're finding in this house. But then there's other times we suffer that has nothing to do with that and our choices. We just hurt. Like when somebody you love dies and it seems like they were taken too early. And you just can't understand why that would happen. And we suffer from the reality that death rules this world. It's no fault of your own. Nothing you could have done differently. But it hurts. And it hurts a lot. And then not only do we suffer from some things, sometimes we suffer from other people. Right? You know this to be true. Somebody says an unkind word 
And those sticks and stones may break your bones. Words always hurt you. And you end up stuck with those hurtful words for days and weeks and years. And it digs a deep wound of trauma that you can't seem to shake. Maybe it wasn't the words they spoke to you, but the things they did against you. They treated you in a way they should never have treated you. They took something from you that you can't ever get back. Somebody else's actions hurt you deeply. We see this all the time. In fact, often we try to shelter ourselves and hide from both of these kinds of suffering. We try to act like it's not there and we put on a face and we say, if only I just pretend a little harder, it'll go away. Like if I stuff that pain and that hardship and swallow it down deep, maybe one day it'll pass. And instead of it passing, we become very bloated and constipated with all sorts of hurt. Hurt that's waiting to come out. And so as we try to hide from all of this pain, and yet this pain pops up everywhere, you turn on the news and you see the evil actions of one man are causing an entire country to be hurting and falling apart. You don't even have to go across the country to see people in this country who should be good and godly individuals, even people leading churches, are doing things to people and against people all the time. And the more you consume this kind of suffering, the harder it can be. God, this doesn't make any sense. Why would you allow these people to hurt these children like this? Why would you allow these people to treat these others, women and children and men, those vulnerable like that? And we can begin in our suffering to see a God who is far from us and distant and maybe even cruel. We say, God, I don't get any of this. And none of this seems right. So today as we ask this question, what's the point? We're going to be looking at something we say here at The Point quite a bit. It is okay to not be okay. And I mean that. You need to know that in this world you will have trouble. It'll be okay. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And to help you understand a little bit of this chapter while you're flipping there, the page number, by the way, is page 1209 if you want to use one of these blue Bibles we have. If you want to pull out your phones and look it up, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. If you brought your own Bible, great. I don't know what page it's on. The context of this is Paul is writing to a church that he helped plant. Paul has a really deep relationship with these people. In fact, this is probably not the second letter he's written to him, but actually the third, because there's reference to a letter we don't have that he's like, in my previous letter, I wrote to you about these things, and the letter we do have, 1 Corinthians those things aren't there. So there's a good chance he's written to this church several times. He has a great relationship with them and he loves them dearly. But there's a problem in Corinth. There are these individual preachers who have come along with a message a little bit different than Paul's. And that message they're preaching is look at our lives, how great we are. Look at how things are all falling together. In fact, Paul admits that he's not the most elegant speaker. He doesn't speak with the best words, and the things he says don't always sound that wise. And so these other pastors and preachers and people come along and begin to preach with better words and more winsome language, and they're saying, look at how great I am and all that I have done. 
you should listen to my message more than Paul's. Paul, he refers to them as super apostles. And Paul, in 2 Corinthians 11, writes against these super apostles, these holier-than-thou people who have it all together, and he writes in a very tongue-in-cheek sort of way. I just love that our God would allow such heavy language to be used here because Paul says, look, if they want to boast about all the things they're doing right and how great and wonderful they are, I can boast even more. Like, if you want to play that game, I can play that game. Let's go there. So that's where we pick up 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and he begins to boast like the others are about his life. Here's what he says. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. I like that. He's like, look, this is not God speaking to you right now. This is Paul, a foolish man. You guys know that I'm kind of a loser, a little bit of a fool. Don't worry about it. I'm going to tell you the way it is. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will. I can play that game. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. You know-it-alls. You have all the answers. Let me show you just how foolish I really am. Do, Do you like what Paul's doing? He's painting this picture like, Look, if you really want to go down this road of who's holier than thou, we can go there. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs and strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. Catch that? He's like, look, you guys like it when people enslave you with their kind words, when, when they act in such a way that devours you and destroys your life. We were too weak to be that way to you. But if you want, we, we can do that for you. And he continues, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. Right? Paul's like, look, when I start boasting about all these things I've done, don't I sound kind of crazy? But that's what these super apostles are doing. Talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. See, 40 lashes was deemed the death penalty. He says, five times I got just shy of being put to death. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, not like got really high, but like threw rocks at him, right? Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. I'm glad I'm not Paul. He's like, these super apostles want to tell you how hard it is to do the work they do. They want to tell you just how hard they labor and they work. I can show you I'm doing it even more. Any of you been shipwrecked a couple of times, stranded at sea, adrift a few days? 
hungry and tired and sore? Anybody else been beaten and tortured and imprisoned? Paul, he's painting this big picture of all the things that he could choose to boast about. He says this, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. As if all of that hardship wasn't enough, Paul says, don't you know I daily carry this pressure of anxiety for all of you? Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus He who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Paul, he's writing against those who have it all together, who want to show off how great they are and their life is perfect, even though they suffer and they struggle a little bit. Paul, he's writing against those who want to convince people to a different gospel, a different story of God by saying that suffering will go away, that pain isn't that important. Those things, look, I've gone through hardships, it'll be okay. And Paul, he kind of dismisses all of this. It's like, can any of you compete if this were a competition? No. He's like, but I'm not going to boast in the things that are really good. I'm not going to celebrate how my life is smooth and easy and I am holier than you. No, I'm going to boast in all of my weakness and all of my brokenness and my hardships and my pain. I love Paul's writing here because this is completely opposite of our culture today. We think that hardships and suffering and sorrows are a thing to be hidden If we don't talk about them, nobody can think less of us because of it. If we're suffering with something, either something that's just because this world is broken or something because somebody's come against us, we just have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and suck it up, buttercup, and make it right. We have a culture that says, don't acknowledge where you are broken. Focus on your strengths. Focus on the things you're good at. And the weaknesses, those will go away. Paul, he says something entirely different. If I'm going to boast, it's going to be in my weakness. See, we can suffer from things because this world is broken. We can suffer from things because other people have hurt us. But Paul offers to us something that Jesus first offered. The opportunity not to just suffer from things or from other people, but the opportunity in turn to start suffering for something and for someone. You see, the truth is when we suffer because this world is broken, there's nothing we can do to control that. And when we suffer because somebody else does evil against us, there is nothing we can do to stop that. We can't legislate enough to make evil go away. We can't be kind enough and good enough to make people treat us nicely. We can control none of the suffering that happens to us. But what we can do is choose what we suffer for. 
What becomes important enough to boast in, to celebrate, to elevate? Continues. He goes on in the next seven verses of chapter 12. He describes how he not only had all of this hardship and all of these things, he also received special revelations and dreams and visions that most people never get to have. But then in verse seven, he says this. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Three times I say, God, take away this hardship and this pain and this suffering. Take away this thing I really don't want to deal with. God doesn't respond by making it all go away. He doesn't make life happy and wonderful and peaceful. This is what he says to Paul. He says this, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. When we are suffering from the weight of this world and from the evil deeds of another, we can't change that. But his grace is sufficient in all things. See, we don't have a God like every other God that looks at us from a distance and sees our pain and says, just fix it and then come to me. We don't have a God who's waiting for our mess to be cleaned up. We have a God who from the very beginning, before death ever even came to be, promised that he himself would come and rescue us from all of this suffering. We have a God who took on flesh and became you and me and he knows all of our temptations and all of our struggles and the weight of all of this brokenness of this world. He knows himself. So much so that the night before he died, he was there in the garden praying, so God, if this weight, this cup could be taken from me, if there's any way for it to pass, please let it but not my will, yours be done. And it says that there in the garden, the weight of it all, he was in such agony that he began to sweat blood. Our God would take on all of that suffering and all of that hurt and all of that evil done against you and the ways people have sinned and harmed you and the things in this world that are broken. And he's bore it on himself and become broken for us. And he says to Paul, my grace is sufficient. See, whatever you're walking through, the hardship of it all, his grace is there with you. Whatever you're dealing with, the pain you can't shake, the things that are chronic you don't know how to change, the things other people don't know how to change for you, all of that, he says, his Grace is sufficient. Do you want to know the glory of God and the power of God? Do you want to see the goodness of God and all of this evil? Look at the cross. The place where God would come for you to bear all of your suffering and your sorrow and your shame. His power is made great 
in weakness. Paul continues, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says, for the sake of Christ, I can endure all things. I can go through this. And so while we cannot control the suffering and the sorrow that comes from this world, and we cannot change the suffering and the sorrow that comes from people sinning against us, what we can do is endure it for the sake of Christ. So God, I don't have the strength to stand, but you do. I don't have the strength to be kind to this person who hurts me, but you do. I don't know where to turn tomorrow, but you do. And when we bear our suffering for the sake of Christ, that doesn't mean we stuff it down and ignore it, but we actually elevate it all the more, not as a grumbler and complainer being like, woe is me, my life is hard. Rather, we say, God, I can't do this, but you can And we bring it to light. And we come to terms with the fact that life may not always be happy. In fact, it probably will be hard. And we come to terms with the fact that people will not always like us. And we learn through his grace to love even our enemies. And to pray for those who persecute us. And to stand through every hardship. Say, God, I can't but you have. So where is God in all of this evil? He's not causing it. He's not creating it. But he is dying for it. And he's dying to change it. And he's inviting you and me to stand strong, boasting not that everything is okay and we've got it all together and we're better than everybody else. Instead, we boast and I am weak. But he, he is strong. So we bring our hurts and our hardships and our toils and our struggles before him. Each day, all day, God, may I stand with your grace sufficient for this day. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that your grace is sufficient. That when we are weak, you are strong. When we don't have words to pray, you pray on our behalf. When we don't know what step to take next, you have already come running towards us. God, may we fall into your arms. May we trust in your grace. May we look to your cross and see your suffering son and say you were weak, that we could be strong. Teach us today in light of all suffering to know that you are sufficient. May we learn to suffer for you, giving every hurt and hardship and pain over to you, saying this is yours to deal with, yours to make right, yours to heal. And may you do just that in us. God, we ask that we as your church would be a safe place where it is truly okay to not be okay. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen.
As we continue our worship now, we respond with thanksgiving through giving an offering. We believe in this place that an offering is entirely optional. There's no requirement or expectation. It's an opportunity to say to God, you are the giver of every good gift. Everything I have comes from you. Help me to use it to help other people know of your goodness. And so if you came prepared today to give and you're somebody who prefers cash or check or physical giving, you can place that in the popcorn buckets in the back as you exit. Adam and Shane, who was helping with... There he is. I got lost for a moment. Adam and Shane will be holding those at the end of the service and you can place that or your physical connect card in the popcorn buckets. If you're somebody who came prepared to give but you prefer to do so online, you can do so at thepointknox.com by clicking the little button in the bottom corner and selecting, I'd like to give. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Hey, Adam. How are you, sir? Good. So uh, there are a few of you I still need to email that I said I would email this last week. If you live in Lenore City or perhaps in South Knoxville, and you want to be a part of a connect group, and maybe more importantly, you want to help connect other people by hosting or organizing. Uh, Surprisingly, there's actually a good number of people now that live in Lenore City. So Mark and Michelle, you're not the only ones. There's lots of you out there that direction, and in South Knoxville as well. And because we're trying to organize them to be as close as possible to where you live, if you live in either of those areas and have not heard from me or you would like to be a part of a group, Um, and would maybe consider hosting, let me know so you don't have to drive as far, all right? Uh, With that, I get to now respond to your questions. What questions came in today, Adam? Four questions. Okay. uh, And one uh, reminder or announcement. Excellent. So which would you like first? We'll start, we'll do the announcement last so people remember it when they leave. Perfect. Yeah. All right, the first question, what are the Dead Sea Scrolls and what is their point for our learning and journeying through faith? That's a great question. They are a remarkable historic discovery from the 19th century, uh, 19th, 20th, 1900s, so 20th century, that's when it was. But basically, they found in a cave a whole bunch of scrolls and fragments of writing from nearly 2,000 years ago. And it's truly remarkable that the weather would allow this plant-based paper material to survive so long because it was so dry and arid and kept just the right temperature. And so the Dead Sea Scrolls give us thousands of little pieces of fragments that actually do a really remarkable thing. They confirm what we've already known about the Bible to be true by giving us even earlier copies of the very same thing. And the earliest copy you can get, the closer you are to the original, the more likely it's accurate. So that's what they are. Uh, They also had other texts that were not scripture, just a whole bunch of really old texts, and it helps us believe the Bible a little more from a scientific point. Very good. It's kind of a question, kind of a comment. It says, how will you know happy if you never know sad? It's fair. Um, I don't know. I can go back and forth. I don't think any of us don't know sad because we live in a world that's broken, uh, sad simply is. There's a kid's Bible that we have for my, my kids, and I love the way they describe it. They describe what Jesus has done as making all sad things untrue. Right? Like this world is filled with sad, but when Jesus returns, all of that will go away, uh, which sounds really remarkable. So, yeah. Next question, it says, I've accepted the suffering, and I have rejoiced in how God comforts me and has stayed with me through it. I can even see the blessing of strength that comes after the pain. Where I struggle is with a lack of expectation of a good life. 
I almost feel like life will never be good until Jesus comes back where I go to heaven. How do I find goodness in the land of the living, as the Psalms say? Take a really deep breath. Now slowly let it out. God in his goodness gave you that breath. We can hurt in all things, and with eyes open through our sorrow, we can see his goodness gives us one more breath and one more heartbeat and one more person beside us to say, I'm hurting, or to comfort us, or even one more person we can walk to and say, I know you're hurting and you're not alone. Let me encourage you. So how do you find goodness if life may always be filled with hardship and sorrow? In Jesus and what he's still doing for you and me. And ultimately, our hope is that he comes back. When he comes back, it'll be way better. So we should every single day in all of our pain and sorrow say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's the thing we're longing for. Amen. I said four, there was only three. Oh, So we only have one announcement. Last week, you guys gave me a lot of doozies. So thank you for not being as intense this week. They got it all out of their system last week. They should save it for June 5th when you're preaching next. Please don't. Yeah. As you go this week, go with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.